Welcome to the Impact Blueprint Podcast. Prepare for compelling conversations, actionable advice, and those aha moments that create leaders. Here's your host, Dave Brown. I am really excited today to introduce an incredible guest who is respected uh, by, by everyone in the mortgage industry, has been around for quite a few years, has, has got some incredible accolades that we'll get into, but uh, more importantly, a trusted and respected friend, mentor, advisor, and somebody that I go to for advice. Uh, my friend, Randall Gillespie. How are you today, my friend? I'm doing good, but I was starting to think I got on the wrong pod, podcast with the way you, uh, I thought you invited someone else because that sounded pretty good. <laughs> I am really excited to have you today. I mean, you have been an inspiration in the mortgage industry, not just to me, but so many people. And, and we'll get into that. I know you have the same philosophy about how do you help as many people as possible um, at, at every level? And how do you leave a, a kind of a, an impact or a footprint? And, and leave people better than when you found them. And um, so let's let's start out by you know by sharing with the group first of all. It's um, you're with Thrive Mortgage out of yep. Austin, Texas. A little uh, give us a little bio, if you will, about Thrive Mortgage for our listeners. I will, and, and I'm really proud to be a part of Thrive. I feel fortunate to be uh, have been a part of a, a few different companies, not a lot, uh, and in fact. Uh, Dave was a big part of my career that I'm thankful for, and hopefully I'll have an opportunity to share a couple of those stories because he has motivated me a lot through the years uh, and has always been a coach, one of the best coaches I've ever had a chance to work with. Uh, but Thrive specifically, I had a chance to join them in 2018. A lot of changes going on, margin compression then. And folks, anyone who's listening to this, you know there are ups and downs of this business, certainly a significant down right now after a significant up. But we see these cycles and we have to get used to them. So, yeah, more, after more than 30 years in the mortgage business here, seeing them, this is unique. And I'm fortunate because that that last cycle of a uniqueness in 2018 allowed me the opportunity to join Thrive, privately held company, founded on some absolutely great principles that I've always believed in since being in the business. Zig Ziglar uh, was a, a big motivator of mine early on, and he talked about um, the importance of putting people around you that you could get excited about and then would help you get to where you wanted to go by you helping them get to where they wanted to go. Uh, I love that piece ultimately. And so uh, as we really found out the bells and the whistles, I'm a sales guy. That's all I've ever done is run sales. And I love bells and whistles. I like to have things that nobody else has. I like to have everything that a client potentially needs because in the end, I love home ownership. I feel very fortunate to have gotten into home ownership. I took a unique path to get into this business, but that's Thrive Mortgage. We are about helping people get to where they want to go. Our general company philosophy is, is it legal? Can it be profitable? And ultimately, is it good for our people? And all of those are equally important things. And when I say our people, meaning our clients, their referral sources, those we get to work with and partner with, that's our operating principle. So it's not about how big we get. It's just about how great we get as in we want to be the best. We want to be the undisputed best. And that can only be told by our clients and our people. 
Cool. All right. Well, let's just jump in. And, and I'm not going to bore the listeners with uh, uh, deep statistics today um, because I want to really get some, some good content in. But for all of the listeners, anybody that's in the mortgage and real estate world, they know that, that this is a really different environment that we're in right now. And you mentioned something, you mentioned mortgage compression. And for those listeners, if you're not in the mortgage industry, that just means profit compression. So the profits have really been compressed. Um, the cost to, to acquire or do a loan is up significantly. Um, profits have been compressed and couple that with interest rates have increased at the fastest pace, literally in 20 years. And home appreciation is skyrocketing and we have the lowest um housing inventory in the market. So that that's kind of a, a, a quick overview of the mortgage industry well, I'm encouraged. real estate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, let's let's go. So with that being said, what I want to talk about is you've seen a lot of different markets. Okay. You know, tell me what, how do you see this market that we're in right now being, is are there differences that you see right now versus other markets where, you know, where we've been maybe, you know, teetering on a recession or, or some things like that? Absolutely. And probably just first high level is how they all converged at the same time. So going back to one of the points you made, and I know you and I have talked about this, I like to be a student of whatever I do, and then I love to be an expert. I believe our clients deserve that. Our referral sources deserve that. And when we spend time educating and getting to know what environment we're in, what we're up against. I think that's critical right now. Somebody said about a year and a half ago at an MBA conference, you cannot be a novice in a time of crisis. And I have been sharing that with our team all along, challenging people, the most professional are gonna get through this ultimately. They're gonna find ways to help that client. Obviously DTI is more of a challenge when you've got higher interest rates, you've got people fearful, all those kinds of things. But here's one of the pieces you said earlier that I think still not everyone has had an aha about. Hmm. Most salespeople today will say, well, you know what? I just know rates are gonna drop here in the very soon near future. And so they're telling their clients, hey, this is short term, you know, date the rate, but marry the house. Date mm -hmm. the rate, but marry the house. Yes. And, and I can subscribe to that in many ways. And you help clients understand that rate doesn't have to be long term, uh, that they'll have an opportunity to refinance it. But here's the piece, if we're all saying that, and we know or believe that in the next couple of years, at least we'll see rates decline, that means investors know that also, which means investors know that that loan is going to be paid off very soon, which means that investor doesn't want to spend a whole lot on that loan they have to buy today, knowing they're going to lose it in a matter of months, potentially. That's why there is not and very challenged to find a par rate often. That's blown people's minds. I don't know if that's ever been the case in the mortgage industry where we just could not find par rate. That's why investors want some skin in the game, some points, so to speak, from that client up front. And that's when you say margin compression, sometimes people think that means, oh, well, a company's just making less. No, what that means is I'm having to spend a lot more for a lot less. Or the inverse of that is when I go to deliver that market to the secondary, it's worth about 40% less today than it was even a little over a year ago. That's what's powerful. So a loan officer can say, okay, I did a million this month. I also did a million a year ago in this month. Why is it that I can't have the same number of staff? Well, because you have to actually do about a million and a half now to equate the same income as you did a year ago. So I think that's an important piece for all of us to know. And I am, Dave, you know, I am not a corporate guy at the least. Uh, but, also, but what I am saying is 
that's not a corporate speak. That's I've, I've been saying a lot over the last couple of months that there's so much that I wish I had known better as a top producer, or as a, a young person in the business, getting, just getting into the business. I would not have spent so much time thinking that there was this conspiracy against me at my company. I would have been able to focus more on what I needed to do to then get that million and a half rather than a million. In fact, then I want to get two million and I want to get three million because then here you ask the question, what's different now? It's all of those things, a lack, a lack of inventory. So let's take it back to the most recent, uh, I want to say crisis, but certainly a challenge that we saw in 20 and 21. In those days, the problem was there was just not enough capacity. No one had enough closers, underwriters, title companies couldn't keep up. We were doing group closings. Uh, what a nice problem to have, right? Let's go before that. What was it? It was the meltdown uh, that many of us remember very, very well. And I was at the epicenter of that, running a very large division, ultimately, and dealing with the, the challenges of those times. But you remember, inventory wasn't a problem then. Defaults were the problem, and that's why there was the implodometer. And quite honestly, I believe, um, I've tried to look this up. It's very hard uh, to find the details. There is still an implodometer, by the way. You can find it. Uh, we looked it up a couple months ago. It appears to me that we've already surpassed uh, the number of of uh, tragedies, if you will, uh, in the in the business as a result. And some good companies, by the way. So I am beyond now competitive. I am about let's help those who are still in the business be more successful. Let's get through this because we need to have competition. We need to have mortgage when it comes back. Right now, let's take care of our people. Let's take care of our clients. Let's get, let's give alternatives. So the biggest. Uh, change today of anything we've experienced before. Largest increase in the shortest period of time ever in the history of mortgage is what we've gone through. And when you then pair that with what you just said with lack of inventory, that's substantial. And, and there's another piece there too, and it's the uncertainty. We haven't seen a Fed and a, uh, when we talk about monetary policy and then political policy, we haven't seen those come together yet. They're in fact quite opposed. So are we still seeing inflation? Could there be a recession? I am not an economist. Uh, my former math teachers and um, professors would, would absolutely have a problem if I tried to pretend that. So consumers are scared. Are we going to turn it around? We're the United States of America. And here's the other positive piece that I would say, because Dave knows me well enough to know, uh, there's always something positive that you can find in the midst of anything. And there's still 4 million transactions this year. Now, down from about 14 million at the peak of this. Uh, so we're down almost 75%. And I think that's the other piece. It compressed, it happened so fast, not over a period of five or six or eight years, but over 24 months, we went from the best market the industry has ever seen to the worst market the industry has ever seen. So it's not like just jumping into cold water. It's like being in a hot tub and then jumping into icy freeze cold water makes it all the more sensitive and companies can't move fast enough. I've been trying to help communicate this too, just two years ago, and I'm a loan officer, just two years ago, we were saying, oh, we need more capacity, we need more capacity, hire more people, uh, we need more resources. And then everything just kind of collapsed. And then it's, boy, if you let this person go, that's become my favorite processor, then I'm gonna leave. Every company out there has to adjust. Uh, that's just the reality. And again, I'm not saying as a corporate guy, I'm trying to educate our field about this so that we can get through it. But, but folks, we need to remember, there's still 4 million transactions. Who's gonna get those? Not the schmoozer anymore. That in sales, not just the schmoozer and not just the person who has available phone. 
Now that agent is thinking, I need to send this not to the person I like first, the person I know will get it done, the person I know has the products and resources because I've only got one client a month now, not five. I need to make sure it gets closed. And I'm hearing that with our realtor business partners and broker owners that we deal with on the realtor side. Yeah, that's a lot of great information to unpack. And uh, so you you alluded to the implodometer. And for those that don't know, that's that's a uh, something that was online years ago that showed all of the companies as they were going out of business. Every day we would check that. Hopefully we don't have to get back to that. But along that line, what do you see right now as, as one of the top one or two threats that mortgage lenders are facing and that they and that they better be paying attention to over the next 12 to 24 months as this thing starts to stabilize out a little bit? Everyone just has to get the costs and parity. There, there's a misnomer out there that com- there's some companies are willing to lose money right now. That's not true. People say that, but then they just push up margins. And then that loan officer who got persuaded to go someplace because they were told that, now all of a sudden they're trying to figure out why the pricing is out of whack. We got to face it. There is only so much revenue now left in that mortgage today. Mm-hmm. And companies, and let me give you, maybe some people don't want all this education, but again, I wish I would have understood this. So back in the height of things, a lot of folks, we're having to renegotiate vendor fees and such. And what we know is when you negotiate a contract with a vendor, they make you state how much volume they can plan on, and then they'll put your price point based on how much volume. Sure. Well, people were high in their volume. We didn't know how long that would last. And so those price points were put high, meaning you may have said, I'm going to deliver 3,000 loans a month or 500 loans a month, whatever that number is. And now all of a sudden, you are... 75% less than that, you still are having to pay at whatever you set your minimum price point at. So we've got the value of the mortgage going down, the cost of manufacturing extraordinarily high today. Uh, why? Because of vendor costs. In fact, many vendors are merging themselves. That's another unique thing that's happening now in, from an implodometer. So many companies, we've all seen these, they're, they're merging together, trying to collaborate. And that's a good thing in that respect. But the cost of manufacturing is going up. We've got buybacks that have been exploding over the last six to nine months. Everyone is seeing that from the agencies. And so what is plaguing companies today is it got to get that cost in parity with the revenue. And that's not a bad thing to say. In the end, you have to be a for-profit company. I don't know of any companies that are truly making money depending on how you want to put it. Some say, well, I'm getting servicing revenue right now. Well, that's going to go away when the refinances go. And if they have servicing revenue right now, that means they weren't deploying that service premium when they were originally doing the loan, which means they would have been making less during that time. And I realize I'm being overly simplistic on a a number of these things. But what I am saying is every company out there, the last report I saw was that there's been six quarters in a row, 18 months of IMBs losing on average and most recently, most recent quarter, $1,800 per loan. Mm -hmm. And people think, how is that even possible? Because of those ballooning costs, because of compliance costs. So much so that I was just at a conference and the FHFA has now appointed a chief fintech officer. And he said very openly, his 
responsibility and mandate is to lower the cost of manufacturing the mortgage. And by the way, he said his mandate is to help with making the process faster. Now, I think that's a little ironic considering the fact that we got pretty fast back a few years ago and then anybody here of TRID and Dodd-Frank? Now, policy is important and regulation is important. I'm not for games in the business at all. We need to treat our borrowers right, be very transparent. But we know that all of these things has, has caused the delay of the closing and that and has almost mandated a longer now incubation period for that borrower in the in the manufacturing process as well as increase the cost um, of it because of all those pieces so those are all the things that that are being battled right now ultimately okay interesting all right i'm going to switch gears on you a little bit i know that boring stuff i know <laughs> well, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of details, and again, we could really get into the weeds if we wanted to go into all the all the numbers and statistics, and and we'll do that on another on another call. But I know your company, Thrive Mortgage, is a part of something. It's called uh, TMC. I think it's called the Mortgage Collaborative. Um, can you explain when, in kind of a concise answer? I mean, what what is the mortgage collaborative, and what's the what's the point of all of you coming together? What are you trying to accomplish for the mortgage industry? To collaborate. Okay, that was a concise answer. <laughs> Great. All right, I went long on the other ones. Well, here, How many people are collaborating right now in the uh, TMC? So uh, TMC, cool organization. Probably one of my favorite conferences to go to because it's not just experts come in kind of speaking at you. Uh, the majority of the time is reserved for lenders, um, senior members uh, of management teams to come in and just share what's happening, what's the reality, because there's so many myths out there because we're in a sales business. And in sales, you tend to then deal too much with perception. Perception is reality, but you gotta get through that. So what do we do? What's the most valuable thing is we'll have topics over the three days and members facilitate those topics and we all just share what is happening is there a better way that uh maybe we share an idea of we just got this new technology what's other people know about it did it work what was the what were the things that worked well and not well and we kind of make a promise that we're going to not share this intel with each other um it really is for the idea of bettering our industry and i love that i just got a text yesterday from somebody that i met who's uh, run sales for another uh, large company out there in the business. And he said, hey, I'd love just to have a weekly, weekly touch base with you. Just talk about the business because, you know, we said we can share ideas with each other to help because let me turn it very personal for a minute. And Dave, you've heard some of this story, but, you know, my first year in the business, uh, I loved it. I got in the business somewhat by mistake. I, I love the business, but I also, you know, there were some games played ultimately. And uh, fortunately, we didn't have any children yet, uh, but... I realize that at the heart of everything that we do for the consumer and for our staff are people and families that are impacted. And so that's why I said kind of I'm not taking the gloves off right now, so to speak, as a competitor. What I want to do is instead help because there's a lot of people right now that are dependent upon us helping them through this and even helping consumers better understand that it's still a good thing to buy. There's still value. There's still appreciation. And so that's what the Mortgage Collaborative does. It allows us to just get together kind of drop the curtain, talk openly with each other and help one another in the business. There's uh, about 500 members of that, which is really cool. That's interesting. Okay. Um, let's turn to something um, positive and uplifting now. 
Okay. I think in, in this mortgage business um, it has been incredibly um, generous to you and I both in so many ways, um, personally, professionally. If you were new in the industry, and I'm going to ask this in two ways, if you were new in the industry, and maybe a better way is from your position, seeing newer loan originators in the business right now, and also people in the business 20, 25 years that are maybe having to do things that they haven't done in a long time, where do you see the opportunity for somebody like that that's either newer and or having to go do some things that they're, they haven't done in a while um, in this business so that they can take advantage of what you and I have seen over the last 30 years as being an incredible industry? Let me, let me speak first, if I can, to the experienced loan officer. The new opportunity that seems to be coming as we end 2023 going to 2024 is cash out refis. People have uh, tough budgets. They want to get access into their equity. Um, we're seeing that grow. These uh, statistics actually came from some economists that were just at the last conference I came to, so certainly not in my expertise. And something that's happened differently just in the last couple of months is that equity lines, people were really tapping into equity lines for a while uh, because it was so much cheaper. Uh, but now that has inverted and, and equity lines are more expensive than a 30-year mortgage. So what information we were given is that the average cash out refi ended up lock, being locked in at about 2% higher than what the going rate is. So that may, means a borrower on average was accepting a 2% increase in their overall mortgage rate in order to get access to their equity. So those in the 5% tranche right now are probably a pretty good target to go after that because it appears consumers are willing to pay that when they look at how that'll allow them to maybe pay off other debt and so on. So just a little piece that can be expanded on later if you want, but that's the first thing about opportunities that are coming up. Cash out refis, they're seeing those continue to grow. On the other hand, um, just if I was new in the business or what I tell loan officers, because I often hear, I need a deal now. I, I need a loan now, so to speak. I would still probably go back to the thing I did do the very first week I got in the business. Uh, I had spent a short time in mediation. I was in the military prior to that. Um, and I learned to ask questions. And I, I learned, hopefully, to listen. You may disagree with that sometimes, Dave. But um, I wrote out 10 questions. And what I realized is I need to find out what really makes this business tick. What I also didn't realize at the time that was quite creative, and I can't take credit for it because I think about it, is it endeared me in the relationships uh, from potential referral sources. So I started with one agent that someone told me to talk to, asked my 10 questions. It was some things like, and I just said, would you give me 10 minutes to ask 10 questions? I was referred to you by X. And so I talked to that agent and I would ask them, what made you want to get in the business? you know, to what do you love most about the business? So it brought back those feelings. Uh, and then it did lead to, I had questions, who do you like to use for a lender? Who do you like to use for a title company uh, for closing and, and so on? Uh, and I promised them, I'm not here to, to try to ask for business. It was such of an, um, a soft approach that I got yes to everybody I asked for ultimately to be able to do that. And I started getting leads because of that, because they saw me as someone who was listening. They saw me as someone who wanted to get to know them. And some people will say, oh, that's too basic. You know what? It's not. Uh, because as we talk to our agent partners, agents are scared as well. They need help. They need collaboration. They're looking. When you ask those questions, um, we've had some that have said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I know this apartment complex and I've wanted to just go maybe even 
hand out some flyers. Yes, in a day and age of uh, the multimedia and the internet and such and social media, some of those basic things uh, can end up being very successful. And so uh, a partner can go spend a little bit of time with them on that. And our marketing department will create those kinds of things. Uh, we So let me stay, stick with that. It's going back and um, renewing those relationships. But can I say something else maybe related? And you can stop me if this is going the wrong direction. Some people say, I just hate making those kind of cold calls. I realized more recently, I've started to share this a little bit with you recently when we talked. I have found that one of the things that we do wrong is we focus on the thing that brings the pain, not on the joy. So as I admitted to you some time ago in January, I said, you know, I'm going to get back healthy. I'm going to force myself. And what I realized, you know, I first did the traditional, you know, bought a elliptical and oh my word, like I was on there for what felt like three hours. I looked down, it was 10 minutes and I'm like, okay, this is crazy. So I'm being really real with people here. What I had to start pairing it with, I thought, you know, instead, uh, I'm going to start biking because then at least I can, you know, look around at neighborhoods and enjoy nature. And then I paired it with a podcast that I enjoy listening to and I can add yours to it. And so those are the things I looked forward to. And literally, I'm admitting this. When I first started this, I'd get about a mile and a half and I'd be like, I am exhausted. Now, if I can't get 20 miles in in a day, I'm feeling like I haven't done enough. I'm loving that 40 and 50 miles. I'm having a lot of fun. I paired it to fun things. So I did not just say I got to go ride. I started pairing it with things I could look forward to. Now, how does that relate to what I just said? It relates to set your goals, but don't have it be on how many cold calls. Set it to how many new relationships or people I can meet. Like for me, I love to find something in common with people. So again, I had a little bit of mediation. Uh, my father has always been in sales. He's a relationship guy. Um, and, and so I found that I was truly enjoying getting to know these agents and just hearing a little bit more about them. And then I would find out what is it something I could deliver to them. So we have a program called Thrive for Home, which is buyer incubation. Nobody else has a program like this. I was doing this, though, even before I had this program. I kind of made it up. I would just tell that agent, look, I know you already have a primary loan officer that you probably work with. I have uh, ones that are loyal to me, and I appreciate that loyalty. So I respect that and am not asking to do anything to interfere with that. However, what I do know, most loan officers don't have a program to where they can deal with clients who have been turned down, who are not in a position to buy today for whatever reason. I would love to be able to put them into my portfolio of people that I work with and coach on a regular basis as a gift to you as their agent. Wouldn't that be really cool? I've never been turned down by that. And then I would put them in a group and coach them, ultimately, those, those borrowers. And here's what people miss is they'll say, Randall, that doesn't help me get a closing this month. And I say, yes, it does. Think three-dimensionally. Now you just stood out to that agent. And there's that, that reciprocity. One of the six things that psychological needs to yes is reciprocity. And so they now feel kind of guilty, like, okay, I'm giving you people that don't qualify. I probably should throw you one that does once in a while. Mm. And it also gives you a reason now, because if you hate cold calls, and I do, by the way, I'm going to admit that. I don't like cold calls either. But when I now have those borrowers in my incubation, and I see an agent that has a loan officer already in their hip pocket, so to speak, they have a good relationship, let's put it that way. And I see that they just did an open house or they were in the news in some way, that agent. I now can call that agent because I have one of their clients that I'm incubating and it gives me reason to call them. Hey, 
remember uh, John Adams or Sue Smith that uh, you referred me over to. I just was talking to them. This is exciting. They just got two more things now corrected, and they look like they're going to be in a position to buy in about 60 days. Hey, by the way, I noticed you were in the news recently, did an open house. Anybody that I can help you in that regard as well. So it gives you a reason to talk to them. The third thing that I hear people say is 55% of purchases this past quarter, based on uh, these economists that just shared this, were first-time home buyers, Dave. That number's gone up 1%. That's pretty significant. So there is a tranche in there. And here's the last piece about some initiative like this. And man, if I would have known this my first week in the business, these extra expounded on pieces, could I have gone to town? I was learning them slowly. But here's the final piece. When you're dealing with that client, so now you get a win with the realtor because you're doing something for them. You've got a client now that, okay, I'm spending time with them. But you know what? Let's help home ownership. But on top of it, not only is it altruistic, what else is really cool about it is the fact that that customer is now out there. Their reticular activator is working and they are talking to other people looking to buy and sell. And they're becoming now a walking billboard, a walking social media. So maybe we could coin a new term, not just social media, but live social. And yes. now they're out there. You put 50 people in this program. You got 50 people at holiday events and gatherings and church and community events saying, oh yeah, you need to talk to Dave or Randall. They've been helping me on a home. And those people are qualified today, may have 50% down, may be fast buyers. And those people also are someone you can refer back to the agent. So I, I really went deep on that, I know. But talk about a strategy. Anything that helps keep you out and continue to exponentially grow your referral sources is what is good right now. And you have to have that opportunity to expand on that. You know, you said three. You said three things that all lead back to one point that I want to I want to pick up pick up on and key in on. Um, you talked about the experienced LO um, refinances being an opportunity. You talked about the new loan officer going and talking to agents and having the opportunity to really connect, uh, and that also advocates. Okay, which are you know referral advocates helping all three tie back to one thing communication and connection. And so, whether you're an experienced loan officer, brand new, or it doesn't matter anywhere in between, it's all about you still need to connect with people. And one of the things I hear, I hear other other people in the industry and, and, you know, with AI and some of those things, you know, I hear all the time, well, you know, real estate agents don't want to meet. And I think, you know what, real estate agents don't want to meet if all you're there to do is just ask for a deal, show yes. up with some value, get to know them a little bit, connect with them because they want connection as well. They're concerned about what's going on in this industry, just like we are. And so all things lead to, you have to connect, you have to, I don't care if you use AI, the telephone, you know, instant messaging, but at some level you have to connect to get in front of people so that you can share, you know, your 10 minute meeting. And, and, and I love that. And it also means if you're an experienced loan officer, what are you doing with your database? Shame on you. And I know the answer because I coach hundreds and hundreds around, you know, the country. And so I, I know that the typical answer is oh, I'm not doing as much as I should be. And so that's if you're hearing this, it's a call to action. You need to get active with your database. 
They need to hear from you. And if you haven't called them in, in you know, it could be years. Call yeah. and just simply say, hey, this is Dave. I'm your mortgage person. I apologize. I just wanted to connect. There's a lot going on in the industry. I just want to see how you're doing. Do you have any questions? They haven't been thinking about you near as much as as that hesitancy to pick up the phone. So, you know, make the phone call. Um, but I want to pick up on something else you said. And this is important as we start to maybe kind of wrap up and head to a, a finality of this, this call because you and I could talk for hours. Um, but I know you grew up in the Midwest. So you've got a Midwest work ethic. And I know you have a lot of a lot of roots there. But I also know, and you mentioned this, I know your father was in sales. And I'd like to, you've shared a few stories over the years with me, but could you just share with, with our listeners, what is something that you learned from your father about maybe life and how it applied to, to sales that's helped you in your sales career? I'd first say your background should make you better. And secondly, always do the right thing and eventually the right thing will happen. And what I mean by that is, so I had a background of military police and then mediation, so communication. And I use that uh, as I got into the business as I just enumerated. Uh, my father uh, owned a shoe store for years. So I grew up in a shoe store uh, and helping clients and blowing up balloons and you know stocking shelves and all that kind of stuff. Uh, he then sold the shoe store and became a regional rep for a shoe manufacturer of many states. And I'll always remember meeting some of his clients. I would sometimes go with him uh, in high school or college. And I always found it interesting. He would take orders, if you understand how the business works. So go and present their shoes. And then the owner says, you know what? I want three dozen of this size and a dozen of each of these sizes and so on. And of course, most salespeople are like, yes, as many shoes as I sell, you know, that's a commission. My father would always say, you know what? Here's what I would tell you. You're ordering too many of this. Why don't you wait, see how they do in that size. And then ultimately we can do a second order later on. He looked out for their best interest. That made a big impression on me. And they saw that he wasn't just trying to get a sale because there's nothing worse for a small entrepreneur than to have a bunch of stock on hand that isn't moving. They can't afford that. That's revenue. And so uh, those two principles, I think, um, do the right thing and the right thing will eventually happen. It may not initially seem like it, but it eventually will. And and make your background make you better, ultimately, by using what's in your background to have you stick out today in what you do and differentiate yourself. I love that. Man, I love that. All right. So I'd like to know you you've had a lot of incredible experiences in this industry. And so to to go with a positive here. What are, I know you love helping people. You've got a heart for servant, you know, being servant minded. I know that. Um, but what's, what's maybe a story that you could share about, you know, the mortgage industry, a success, just something that, that, you know, about helping others that has really impacted you over the years um, as you think about your career. I, I, and Dave, you know this, and, I, and you and I were so like-minded when we met because what we got jazzed about Mortgage origination almost was a little too easy for me, making the relationship. I realized I had a natural capital because I was not one who um, could just meet with a borrower in five minutes and move on. And I could not be that kind of a, a machine, so to speak, on a conveyor belt. Uh, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Some people set up really cool systems to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, my best year maybe was 500, a little over 500 units. 
uh, and I had a great team to ultimately help me accomplish that. Um, but I, what got me jazzed was then helping teach others how to be successful, helping them get to where they want to go. Mm. That's the consumer side. Uh, I love being creative for consumers and helping them make the best financial decisions. I took that personally. When someone would say, well, Randall, look, you're the expert. You tell me which product to take. Wow. Um, I never once sat and looked at which one was going to give me the biggest commission. I didn't uh, try to identify a, a loan amount based on that was more anything like that. I always was truly looking out for the best interest. And that allowed me to feel more comfortable than was saying, by the way, you know, if there's any way that I could help and provide the same kind of service to a friend or family, I'd be honored to have that opportunity. And so they saw that that was end up being genuine. So I don't know if I'm helping answer yeah, that question, no. but there's so many people. Yeah. Um, but here's the cool thing is every person that I can think of that maybe I helped in their career, they helped me just as much. Uh, I love honest talk. I have said all like, you, you know, one of my practices was I always wanted to find one thing I could help somebody with for that year specifically that reported to me. And then I also wanted to identify something about them that I wanted them to help me with. And so I fortunately am the product of a lot of incredible people. And in fact, I've gotten to work with, I think I've had four different people that I used to work for and now that have worked for me. But the cool thing is all, what we know is we work together, we work collectively. Yeah. And that's a really neat thing to be able to say at this point in my career. Yeah. Um, but I will say, uh, first of all, to your credit, and I started off on the call with this, um, you know, Dave has been most, one of the most amazing managers I've ever had a chance to work alongside. Man, when I had a chance to work with you, I thought I had arrived uh, in this business. <laughs> and um, it's cool. And what I respect so much is that there are a lot of talking heads in our business. Um, not as many of them have done it, have been in the street. Uh, and you're one of those that has, has seen both sides from a very real perspective. And I appreciate and respect that very much so. And anything is possible when we put our mind to it. Awesome. I love that. Last question. On a personal level, I know that you and your wife have raised an incredible family. Um, I do have to say, for those that don't know you, it's a rather large family. Um, but I, you know, with having uh, basically a full basketball team, um, you've, you guys have been incredible baseball. parents. Baseball. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Nine. Nine, nine is baseball. Okay. So nine children. But what I, I think this is the thing I respect the most for you. Not only um, have you been an incredible friend and business, you know, business, um, you know, person that's been incredibly successful. You've been a really successful family unit. Share how you've raised nine incredible kids and they are. I'm bragging on them a little bit for you now. But I'd like you to go through, if you can. I know this could be a whole other podcast because you have nine. But, you know, give us an idea. What are those nine doing? And how have you helped impact them to lead at the next generation? Because let's face it, you and I aren't getting any younger. So the, the these, you know, this group of your kids and mine, they're going to be the next generation. So just, if you would, impart some some fatherly wisdom on how you've helped raise some incredible kids. I think it's just consistent leadership. And I'm going to say that very humbly because I'm not going to say I've always been the best at it, but uh, whether it's work, whether it's home, those all things are, are the same practices, how you treat people, how you treat others, um, your walk versus your talk, you know, all those kinds of things 
are critical. By the way, your son uh, was inspirational to my youngest. He's now read the book uh, about from John Maxwell. He really enjoyed that. I thought it was funny. We were on a beach earlier this summer and he was sitting over there reading that book uh, and he really appreciated that. Um, you know, it's, it's always looking to, to give to others because one of the things that happens, and my kids have all heard me say this, so I am a top producer. I have seven boys, two girls. Um, I am a great salesman because if you met my wife, you would know why I say that. I sold her very much so and feel very fortunate uh, to just have an amazing help me uh, in this process. And we did not plan on having nine by any means. Um, there's a lot of funny stories to that uh, that I've used in sales ultimately. But I will just simply say this that what we have wanted to do is make sure that they are not looking at themselves. They're always looking at others. That's important. I hope that that's what I've done in my business. Uh, when I'm looking at the customer, not myself, when I'm looking at the opportunity, the employee, whatever it might be, and not myself. And, and, I'll, and I'll tell you, one of the coolest things that ever happened to our family is, uh, so we wanted to keep them busy. So we got them all into music. And uh, we were asked once to do a concert for a senior group <laughs> now we're in that group years ago and we were asked to do a concert and we'd never really done anything like that we'd go to nursing homes and such to let the kids practice their their skills and gifts uh and to, to have some purpose uh for all the practicing that they were doing so we did this event there was a man there that uh the very short story asked us if we'd be willing to do a concert in japan and so a year later, um, we ended up doing about 28 concerts, I think, in uh, two weeks, a little less than two weeks. Uh, then end up going to China, other parts of Asia, uh, over a period of years into Europe and so on, uh, doing a variety of Christmas concerts and things like that. Um, because it was just, it was to uplift and encourage families. Um, I don't anybody Google it because we've done our best to eliminate everything that is out there on the internet, <laughs> mainly out of vanity, I guess, because you can never record well with the technology from, you know, 10 years ago when they were doing that. Uh, but it did impact all the kids' lives in an incredible ways because we were giving back um, the heartfelt responses from parents uh, of different countries. It kept me humble about how great we have it here um, where we're at in the United States of America. Uh, it, that was powerful. And our kids got to see that. They got to feel the power of doing something and encouraging somebody else through something like music. I love it, man. I love it. Job well done, Dad. You uh, you and your wife have done an incredible job. I'm going to give more credit to her. Um, <laughs> yeah, I want to thank you for being a friend, a mentor, um, but mostly just someone that I can rely on um, with trusted advice as whenever I need that in my life. So I want to thank you. Um, and for those listeners, thank you so much for joining the Impact Blueprint podcast, where we interview really cool people. And we look forward to hearing, having you listen to us again on the next episode. We'll talk to you all soon. Thank you so much. Make an impact.